0: Welcome to What She Said, my name is Candace Sampson, and when I first took over What She Said in January 2020, I jokingly asked in the intro, what could possibly go wrong? And then 2020 said, let me show you. My life has been a country song ever since, but then again, so is everyone else's right now. Thankfully, through this podcast, I get to meet the most amazing women in Canada and around the globe and share their stories with you. What she said is here to talk about anything and everything under the sun as interpreted by and through the perspective of women, because honestly, we've heard what he said for long enough. If you like what you hear, be sure to hit subscribe and share this podcast with a friend. Today's show is coming right up. Women 20, aka the W20, is an official G20 engagement group forming a transnational network of women's organizations, female entrepreneurs' associations, and think tanks. The main goal of Women 20 is to promote women's economic empowerment as an integral part of the G20 process. At the beginning of this year, my next guest assumed her role as the W20 Sherpa for the year of Saudi Arabia's presidency. Little did she know, of course, that she was stepping into this role in the mother of all years. In this next interview, we discuss the policy focus areas the W-20 is actively seeking to change, whether or not women's rights are at risk of being rolled back, how this pandemic is impacting women around the world, and what we can expect to see in the second half of 2020. Meet Salma Al-Rashid, who joins me from Rihad, Saudi Arabia, on what she said.
1: Hi, Salma. Thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Hi, it's
1: a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Candice. It's a pleasure to be with you today.
0: So I have to tell you, this is like literally the, um, I guess, uh, furthest interview I've ever done with you in Saudi Arabia uh, and me in Ottawa, Canada. This is definitely the the most long distance interview I've ever done. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Uh, Let's jump into your role with the W20. Let's talk about how you fell into this role or, you know, not
1: fell into, but how it came to be. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Candice. And this is, the, this is the beauty of technology, that even across all these oceans and continents, we can still uh, connect and, and, and share more about this uh, universal topic on women empowerment. Uh, I, I came into the W20, I started as the, I work for a local non-government organization based in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, that focuses on women and girls. It's almost 60 years old. The way we serve women changes over time as women's needs uh, change. So women's needs in the 60s, 70s, 80s have changed a lot, especially in Saudi. So I'm lucky to see the past three years of the huge reforms happening. I work as a chief advocacy officer in the organization. So I work on advocacy efforts, working with decision makers, on a national level and an international level. And part of that work made me participate with the Women 20 during the Argentinian presidency in 2018 as the head of the Saudi delegation to the W20 and then during the Japanese presidency in 2019 and then um, leading as the Women 20 Sherpa for this year under the Saudi presidency of Women 20. So what does a Sherpa do? So Sherpa, I mean, as you know, Sherpa is the person who carries the heavy weights. Right, that's what I I
0: envision. I'm like, you're climbing up mountains? No.
1: (laughs) It it certainly feels like climbing a mountain, I tell you, Candice. But it's 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 a role equivalent to an executive director. We do a lot of heavy lifting, of connecting, bringing together the W20 delegates. So we have members across the G20 countries. So we have members from Canada the US, Brazil, Argentina, India, South Africa, Indonesia, China, Japan, Australia. So really diverse. Our role is to bring these women together to discuss what are the most urgent topics for women every year and what do we need to put forward to the g20 leaders to get their commitment on the most urgent urgent topics to further advance women's economic empowerment so my my role is to bring them together bring the best out of these amazing delegates that we have across the g20 well you you
0: said two words in there that i think are you know urgent urgent uh topics and i mean there's nothing more urgent than this pandemic so you know when you started say in january uh, to maybe March. Where were your discussions centered around pre, pre-pandemic and how has that now shifted uh, now that we are in a pandemic economy?
1: Yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you. That's a, that's a great question. So, I mean, we, did, we, we, we took the handover from our Japanese colleagues in November of 2019, and we would not imagine that this is the reality we'll be living in today. In January, we had our first kickoff meeting, we had our delegates fly into Riyadh, and we had a, a two-day meeting. Really thinking about a lot of the what are the most pressing topics. But then the pandemic uh, came in, and it disrupted our our plans. It disrupted. What we so it shook us in the beginning, and the thing is, when you talk about women's issues, we started. So women started at a disadvantage. We just COVID nineteen exasperated the issues that were always there, right? So when we 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 started at a disadvantage, and it highlighted. It didn't teach us anything new, but it highlighted the issues that women and girls were facing even pre the covid uh, pandemic era for uh, for us for this year we've we've introduced in january um so the w20 typically works on financial inclusion of women labor inclusion digital inclusion and every year every presidency introduces a new topic. So we've introduced inclusive decision-making because we believe that it's important to have women beyond having that, and I hate to say this word, token female on a board, but really having women at every level of the decision-making process. Who gets to sign up? Who gets to, to discuss these really key decisions, whether it's in local government, a private sector, a public office. Um, so we've included decision-making. But when COVID-19 hit, it made us it, it, it increased that sense of urgency to certain topics, so for example, digital inclusion there is a huge uh, gender divide in access to technology uh, girls accessing stem and not only uh, learning stem but even working in that industry having um, we you know Google some say Google uh, when you search a uh, Google search is a female because it knows everything but reality is it's a male because artificial intelligence is biased most of the time a lot of people, um, the, the most of those who program and, and write down these algorithms are males. And we need more diversity in who designs these these programs. So COVID nineteen highlighted that issue. It highlighted the issue of care, the whole care infrastructure. So women are now working from home, but they have to care. So it's they're they're becoming teachers they're still the caregivers, and they're still expected to do their jobs. So it really highlighted a number of issues that made us as a W20 with our delegates bring to the front of our discussions what needs to be done now immediately. So we've decided collectively with the W20 to approach this year differently. We have a set of recommendations that call for immediate action to um, accelerate recovery, but an equitable recovery. How can we reset and build back better? And then a set of recommendations that is more long-term and to ensure that we don't find ourselves again in the same place.
0: Do you worry about this pandemic setting back the women's rights movement? I mean, I read an article just last night that, you know, women are leaving the workforce in droves, uh, not by choice, uh, simply because they they have no choice, <laughs> they have to take care of their children, they have to take care of their home. Uh, it, it's setting them up for long term poverty. There's all kinds of uh, ramifications from this. However, we you and I both know there are, there is a group that think that's exactly where we belong is at home. Mm-hmm. 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 So, do you worry this is going to set us
1: back? I think if we, if we don't do anything, yes, that risk exists. You know, women, there are 740 million women in the informal economy. And with, you know, our social protection mechanisms or safety nets globally are outdated. You know, they 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 cater to the uh, traditional model of jobs, and people today do not have that traditional uh, job. We need to expand these safety nets. We need to, un, you know, cater to those, and especially women. Women are vulnerable in these positions, and um, the G twenty countries or economies have injected a lot of financial stimulus and packages in the uh, in the economy to help you know, uh, mitigate the impact of this pandemic. But if we are not doing it right, if we're not targeting the most vulnerable groups, and I hate to lump women in, uh, women are so diverse. And let us not lump them all in a vulnerable group because they're strong, empowered, and we need to fix the systems. The systems need to be fixed to cater to women. So not fix the women, but really fix the systems. And I think it is, I, I like to look at this pandemic it is difficult, and our heart goes, goes out to those who've been impacted, lost loved ones, and, and you know the, the, whole, the, the impact that this had on everybody's lives, but we like to look at it as an opportunity. This is an opportunity for us to, we, we see that men now are at home, so they're understanding what it takes. So you know, to your point, where do women belong? What men now needs to need to understand, they have an important role to play, and what we look at is really looking at men and women, you know, both something that works for everyone and the whole spectrum. How can we cater to that? Um, how can we have, have flexible uh, work that really understands that humans have other things? They, they have families. They have other things that they need to attend to regardless of their gender. So you have a number of key
0: policy focus areas. Let's talk about those. So you mentioned digital inclusion, uh, what are the other ones that you, you've identified?
1: So we've, um, typically the W20 focuses on on, on key uh, policy areas, as you mentioned. Digital, which I men- mentioned just now. Financial inclusion, so access to finance. And in this, we cover um, a wide range of issues. It's not just, um, so we, we cover from the number of unbanked women. And I know maybe some of your viewers would be, or listeners might uh, be surprised, do we still have women who don't have bank accounts? There are millions of women who still do not have bank accounts. And this is, a, uh, this is an issue we need to ensure that women are banked, women have access, and the whole digital, um, the, the digital, digitalization is providing us with easy solutions, accessibility. So we need to ensure that fi- there are accessible, uh, easily accessible financial solutions, women's access to assets. Uh, ownership of assets. Um, There are still, uh, according to the World Bank, there are still some countries where women do not have equal um, rights to ownership of assets. So we cover that, we cover financial literacy. Uh, A lot of people, no matter what their um, economic background, are not really, they need more financial literacy. How do you invest? But also we, 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 um, we discuss issues that what can financial institutions do to ensure that we understand when, we, when financial institutions give out credit, are we counting? How many are we giving to women-owned businesses versus men-owned businesses? Are they really, is there really, are there biases? Do um, creditors, Tend to want to give loans out to men, uh, male-led uh, um, businesses, or not. So we need that data. That collection of sex disaggregated data is very important. So that's for financial inclusion. in, 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 uh, in a summary, we talk also about labor inclusion. Uh, you know, as you know, the G20 is an economic forum. So we focus on what needs to be done to empower women economically, and labor inclusion. We discuss. Uh, women's uh, participation in the labor markets, but not only the numbers, the quality of women's uh, participation. So, what what is the quality of jobs? Um, uh, you, know, uh, you know, equal pay for work of equal value, uh, transparency and reporting of uh, salaries. Um, it's it's interesting because, so I, I I'm sitting here in Riyadh. You're sitting in. Canada, and I have the pleasure of working with people around the world, and it really um, is interesting for me to see, no matter our differences, women have similar issues. There are similar issues across the world of what women suffer from. So when we talk about labor inclusion, we talk about the whole care economy, what needs to be done in the whole care infrastructure, addressing the women's roles as caregivers, but not only as mothers, the elderly, any, any person who needs care, it, the burden of that is always on women. So what needs to be done to address these issues? Uh, Inclusive decision-making and women entrepreneurship. So we also discuss women's entrepreneurship, what needs to be done to uh, empower women entrepreneurs, ensure that that there are um, national plans set in place that cater to women's needs, their capacity building, and so on. And inclusive decision-making, as I mentioned, in public political offices, but also in the private sector. We need more women in the decision-making. We need decision-making bodies to look like us. So we need more women there,
0: and and so all that's running through my head as you were mentioning these, you know, these these things was, you know, uh, you know, financial inclusion, digital inclusion. All I could think was, who's at the table of at these places that are making these decisions? Who's at you know the the table at the banks and and at the big companies, you know, uh, making these decisions? And if you were to, if we were to look, I'm sure, no surprise to anybody it would be primarily men. <laughs> so that's, that, that's what we have to, to change, obviously, is to get more women at the table who are making these big decisions. So we know all of this. Let's look at how this, this is impacted because um, I have some numbers that you sent to me about how this pandemic has hit and it may um, surprise some people listening. Let's talk mm-hmm. about some of the the, the, the numbers. This is the statistics of what we know Uh, about women and this pandemic? Uh,
1: Maybe start with the four hardest hit sectors. So the the hardest, so we know from our research, so W20 recently um, jointly issued a statement with UN Women addressed to the G20 ministers of finance and central bank governors. And we wanted in our statement to call on the uh, ministers of finance and, and, and central bank governors to really, when they look at their, Response policies and fiscal policies to ensure that these policies, first of all, we need women, as you mentioned, part of these decision making bodies. When they put the plans, we need women at the table having, uh, you know, participating in these plans. But then we need to ensure that when they're trying to, you know, contract some fiscal spaces to ensure that they don't uh, cut down from really necessary um, sectors. Um, we've seen around the world cutting down on healthcare pre-COVID. We're paying the price today. With looking at some countries' um, healthcare sectors, the hardest um, hardest hit um, uh, sectors, obviously, is where women make the majority of these sectors. Seventy percent of the um, workforce in health. Care are women. They make up seventy percent of that sector. Um, you know, five hundred twenty-seven million women. Five hundred twenty-seven million work in these four four hardest hit sectors, which are accommodation, food services, real estate, business, and administrative um, uh, activities, and as well as retail. These are the businesses that either closed down, were furloughed. Um, tourism employs. A majority of women. So, pre-COVID nineteen, we were excited that tourism has the capacity to really um, achieve the goals to ha- to employing women. But now, it is one of the hardest hit sectors. So, by you know, by default, women are impacted by that. Um, A lot of these uh, businesses are going through reduced working hours. Uh, Women, when asked to shelter at home, are being victims of domestic-based violence. We've seen increase in that. Um, So it's really, these are alarming numbers. And part of what we do in W20 is say, okay, we know these numbers, what needs to be done? What kind of policies do we need to put in place and encourage G20 governments to adopt and, and take into a, a consideration and um, commit to, to alleviate this because, and we're trying to build the economic case. This is not just a, the nice thing to do, but this is the only way for us to rebuild the economy is to acknowledge that this is a gendered pandemic. It's you know, so it's, it's,
0: it's funny you say that. <laughs> you know, I, I did an interview uh, the other day <clears throat> with um, um, uh, Meridian Credit Union which is a credit union here in Canada and one of the things that came up is that by 2026 now this is only you know six short years away by 2026 uh, 50% of the wealth in Canada will be held by women well wow. and we but we're, we're not seeing this we're not seeing that play out in other other places but yet we hold half the wealth yes so there really so- does
1: need to change Absolutely, and it's it's interesting. I, I didn't. I mean, interesting you share that because in Saudi there was a report that came out recently saying that in the um, the Gulf region of of, of um, the Middle East, uh, the, among the Gulf countries, Saudi women have the high are the wealthiest. But like you mentioned, we still have very low percentages of, of employ, um, labor force participation. We don't see women CEOs. We have some, but not enough. It's still very low percentages of women on board. So where is that? And the issue is that a lot of these women have that wealth, but are they really equipped? You know, do they, how, how are they, like you said, how, what, what does that, how does that translate? And is there a huge gap? So we still need more data to understand and, and, and disaggregated data for us to understand the details of that and what's happening there.
0: So now that we're all shut down, you know, travel stopped, are you finding your job much more um, frustrating in terms of getting the policies in place that you need to see uh, because of the lack of face-to-face contact, the lack of being able to travel to other countries? What are some of the biggest hurdles
1: you're, you're looking at right now? So that's a, that's a great question because I in the beginning I've been I've been in lockdown since March. 13th hey we're twinsies me too <laughs> so it's been it's been a while but i i remember in the beginning i said you know it's the most the most difficult thing. how are you supposed to um you know uh, remotely lobby and advocate my job is you know it's a uh, it's the meeting before the meeting it's the coffee that's after the meeting it's it's these things that you do on the side how am i supposed to do it this is really difficult um but we kept going we kept going we we made sure that we're connected with our delegates across the G20 Through Zoom, through uh, constant communication, and we tried. So it is. I I must say, there are some times where I feel like I I send these letters, I send these emails, and I'm not sure how are people. You know, how are how are they taking it? How are they responding? And even when you have these virtual meetings, it's really not easy to get a sense of that body language that's really subtle. How are they feeling? Are they? You know, are they taking this? What's happening there? Especially that you deal with really very different in, in a multilateral environment you deal with a lot of different cultural um, so you know I'm, I'm loud I, I you know, some cultures are more quiet you need to understand how to communicate but we've been pushing through and, and I think the, the beauty about working with a lot of women is nothing stops us we, we're just used to you know we just keep doing doing it we you know multitask I have my kids running around but in behind the camera and I just get things done. <laughs> So I mean, you know, that is true. It's one
0: of the most uh, 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 I think uh, heartening things about this for me is that this this absolute sisterhood uh, that really has come into play through this pandemic because uh, you know the empathy of the outpouring of empathy between um, women because we all understand we're all going through this massive grieving process of of a world that is no longer, that doesn't just doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and and adapting to new realities and work changes, and so out of all of that, I would say the best part is this this real um, sisterhood that has become even more intensified through this. So that
1: that's a good thing. Absolutely, absolutely, and and it's and it's, I think that's what fuels. what what fuels me personally. It's what keeps us going. It's waking up every day and knowing that there are people around the world. We're all in this together. We have similar concerns, similar worries. And and this was even pre-pandemic, but I must say with the pandemic, it's been highlighted. So through my work, I remember when we started going to Japan and I started understanding more about from our Japanese colleagues about what the issues are for women in Japan, or Argentina, or um, other places around the world, I started feeling, okay, maybe we're at different starting points. We're at different levels of maturity as countries of what's happening for women, but it's similar. We all care about the education. We're having concerns with the education system, with healthcare, with our kids spending too much time online. What are they doing online? It's similar, but it's just in a different wrapper, but it's very similar. Exactly,
0: I love that. Okay, so we are, we're halfway through 2020, the, the, the year that just keeps on giving. Uh, so what are your predictions for the second half of 2020 where the W20 and, and G20 are concerned? Where, where do you see this going?
1: So, for, so the, for the first part of the year, we were really focusing on the consultation process. So working alongside our W20 delegates, And and our our W20 delegates really bring into the conversation a tremendous amount of knowledge. They represent civil society, nonprofit organizations, academia, private sector, women entrepreneurs, think tanks. So they really bring in a wealth of experience um, that they come together and we discuss our policy recommendation. We draft together together set of policy recommendations of what we want to put forward collectively and based on consensus. So we must all agree and that these are our priorities to put forward to the G20 leaders and, and lobby for them to uh, adopt and commit to. So that's the first part, but part of that process, we, we know that the wealth of experience and knowledge that we have within the W20 delegates is enormous, but we don't stop there. We also um, look for uh, knowledge from our knowledge partners. So we work with international organizations such as the International Labor Organization, ILO, the World Bank, the OECD, and others. How can we come together, learn from their, use their evidence, their data to support our work? So we know that these are important, but what is the evidence? Where is the evidence? What does the data tell us and how can we push for that? And that's part of why we did the statement with you and women is coming jointly with these powerhouses, with these really strong organizations and, and joining uh, forces and voices to bring forward what we believe in and what we think are of importance for women across G20 and beyond G20. We're done with that consultation process. It's mid-July now, so the second part, or the second half of the year, now we're starting to focus on our advocacy and influence and lobbying uh, part, which for me personally is my favorite part, because we get, it's, it's where it gets exciting, frustrating at times, I must say, but we're hopeful. Um, we were concerned, I must say, in the beginning of the year for, there were a few statements coming out of the G20 that were gender-blind. So we were a bit, uh, you know, that was, I must say, I was a bit, you know, it was the beginning of the pandemic, people, the morale was down and then we have some statements coming out completely uh, not mentioning women. So that was a a bit of a setback, but we're still, uh, you know, going, we're going to, we will stop, we'll continue to hammer down until we get our message across. And we count on the support of our W20 delegates and our knowledge partners and platforms like yours, uh, Candice, to really get our message out. Uh, like you said, we need the sisterhood. We need to all speak the same language and start and, and keep saying the same thing. And, you know, it will move. So we're hopeful that the second part of the um, the year, the relevant G20 policymakers will start acknowledging the impact of this pandemic on women and really put in place policies that address specifically and explicitly women's needs. So not just general, you know, vanilla or, you know, very generic recommendations. Yeah, and, and we don't want lip service. We no. want action. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. and actually on that point, so one of the things that we're focusing our Japanese colleagues last year introduced or focused on um, monitoring and accountability. So really the G20 is a non-binding forum. so it's a coalition of the willing. it's non-binding. there is no you know and there is no requirement to you know legally report on any of the commitments, but we want more um, accountability. We want more, Reporting. So our Japanese colleagues have called for that. And in our presidency in Saudi Arabia, we wanted as a W20 Secretary to take that forward, to continue what our Japanese colleagues started. So we're calling for G20 accountability. We want the G20 and we're calling on the G20 to report at least on what they themselves have committed themselves to on women empowerment. Because if you don't count it, it doesn't count. We need them to start counting and reporting their commitments okay well
0: you give me hope you are a beacon of light so here's what i would like to say can we regroup in december and and look
1: back and see how far you've come i would love to i would love to and i hope that we will regroup and celebrate wonderful it's a date
0: i'm going to follow up with you for december thank you
1: so much for joining today thank you candace thank you very much I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance, and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. It is your
0: favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. Welcome to Mars.
1: Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at TheAllyMars.com.
0: Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.